0: Good morning, marketers, and welcome to the If You Market podcast. We are the only podcast that markets the shit out of it. The If You Market podcast is brought to you by Mountaintop Data and Joto PR. I'm Sky Cassidy, and today we'll be talking with Tricia Ben of the C-Suite Network about leveraging data to optimize results, basically, to obtain maximum results. Tricia is a partner and chief community officer at the C-Suite Network and general manager of the Hero Club. It's an invitation only membership organization for CEOs, founders, and investors. And uh, Tricia, thanks for, uh, thanks for joining us today. Tricia or Trisha? Trisha. Trisha. Okay. I, I heard myself say the last one. I was like, I'm going to mess up every name, even if it should be easy. <laughs> Why would I do that? Why would I do that?
1: It's actually, it's, it's good, Sky, because you know what? Names are really challenging, and it's always a good, it's always a good thing when you can actually extend grace for the, all the times that you've messed up somebody else's name.
0: <laughs> I have to be extra sensitive, because my name is so easy that <laughs>
1: there's,
0: there's never like, we both messed up each other's names, so it's cool. It's like, no, no, it's always on me, always. <laughs> um, and I forget people's names too, and mine is very easy to remember. So then I get the double whammy mm-hmm. and I can't spell. So if I got to write it down, forget about it. So today's topic though, is not me and my bad memory, poor spelling and inability to pronounce names. It's uh, data leveraging data, jumping right into it. Uh, first, can you kind of tell the audience what kind of data you're talking about? The word covers so many things.
1: Mm-hmm. To me, data, I, I like to look at data as just any information and people oftentimes use data in, in uh, very creative ways, which I'm all for. However, <laughs> there are limitations to certain types of data. Um, so you know, whether that's your financials, uh, that's important data. Uh, whether it's uh, marketing uh, research that you're doing or uh, the metrics that you're collecting in market against your campaigns. Uh, There's so many different types of data. It might be qualitative. You might be starting to hear a buzz of different things. That's qualitative data where you don't have anything statistical on it, but you're starting starting to hear things, starting to feel a little bit of a sentiment of things that are happening out in the market. All of that is data. Everything we take in every day is some form of data and it's a matter of then how do we process that information that we're collecting and use it effectively to build and succeed with our businesses
0: right so except for the guy on star trek it's all information that we take in to to make decisions kind of now i would say then i mean it is information but my business works in direct marketing data so really ours is information used to contact people but when you're talking about segmenting stuff like that what industry are people in what company size what title that's all, you know, information that, that you can react on as well.
1: Absolutely. And you want to be collecting it as efficiently and effectively as possible. I'm, I'm a big believer in start piloting. Don't wait. There's never a perfect time. It's like my mother used to say about having children. There's never a perfect time. <laughs> you just, you start collecting it, you start processing it, you start acting. Um, and I think if there's one proof point positive it's when you have things like we've had in the last eight months with covid you know you need to be able to act with agility and there's no perfect data uh, there never there never will be it's right. how you proceed from the information. this is
0: where had. your past experience a lot of it might go out the window because it's based on a reality that has changed so much that the information coming in and how you're supposed to react to that has completely changed um uh, so i guess typically you bring in data and you have previous models and you're you're kind of projecting what might happen based on what you know from the past. And then when you're on a different planet, all of a sudden that just doesn't work out so well. You have to use your instinct and just your, your brain to try to figure out how would this work now?
1: Absolutely. You know, it's quite interesting with what's happened with COVID the way that I'm looking at it. And um, is that we had sort of the, the, the digital era, right? Um, last 10, 15 years, so much of our lives has become digital. But in a way, it's kind of been like pulling a bandaid off one hair follicle at a time, you know, just slow and painful in right. many ways. And now, with the last eight months, the rest of the bandaid just got ripped off all at once.
0: Right. We've so, been in a very slow evolutionary process, and then suddenly we have this extinction event, maybe even you call it where uh, there's going to be evolutionary jumps in so many areas.
1: Absolutely. We've been leapfrogged straight in, straight past digital era into, uh, you know, virtual, virtual era and, um, and being able to take some of the insights and experience from before, but then adapting and piloting and testing and launching as quickly as possible into that new environment. So it's, it's, there is still that past experience and, and gut, um, but then there's also the new data and and how you're adjusting to that.
0: So it seems like an immediate takeaway, something you mentioned a little bit ago. I want to get back to it. Seemed important on data. A lot of people think you need to collect it all together and have some sort of a a genius matrix that 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 helps you crunch the data and figure out what to do with it. But really, you you'd mentioned acting on it and being being nimble and not, not waiting till you have everything's perfect. It's really, you heard the rustle in the bushes, just start running, or at least turn and look at it, or it's, it's take whatever you have at the moment and react on it somehow, and then just get better over time.
1: Absolutely. I've always been a huge proponent of you have to take what you have in the moment, and that's great leadership, what you have in the moment to be able to make decisions and then live with them, and make sure that you're making them with the best interests of where you are now and where you want to go in the future, with the information you have at the time, and then adjusting as rapidly as humanly possible as you go along. And um, you know, in the market research industry, I really stood out on that because I, I understood and was so excited about how you create great businesses with data, and you can't wait. You, you know, the idea right. wait six months till you have all the research in. No, you, you cannot hold off decisions for six months, a year, maybe several years if you're testing over time. Uh, what you have to do is you have to be creating that model, that paradigm that you're using, and then adjusting it as you go along. It's absolutely critical. And you cannot, you cannot wait for the perfect data. It's just, it's impossible. There is no such thing. There are, um, you know, probabilities <laughs> that tell right. t- There is no such thing. So Some
0: people uh, might make decisions that are actually, they're bad decisions, but they work out. Could be a problem. Like they get lucky and uh, they they close their eyes and swing the bat and they actually hit a home run and they're like, great, now I know how to do it. Uh, But usually it's going to be a statistical thing.
1: Right. Well, here's the thing too is, you know, your likelihood of not getting there when you're not swinging the bat is absolutely 100% no. (laughs) If you're swinging the bat, There's a chance. You're better
0: closing your eyes and swinging than just standing there and waiting till you know exactly how everything works.
1: Right, exactly. And so, you know, a perfect example for us was when COVID first happened, we announced on March 16th, we have to pause all travel. Um, This was a huge hit to our business model. We were on the road some part of at least 40 weeks a year. Um, hosting events all over North America. Events and, uh, were
0: our number one marketing thing for the year. We we're saying we're going to go big on events this year.
1: Yes, <laughs>
0: <laughs> for the first um, time, um, we're going big on events.
1: <laughs> having said that, though, we'll do over three hundred virtual events this year, um, and and on a really great um, cadence to mm-hmm. meet the needs of different types of members we have, from business owners and investors to influencers and those you know consultants and so on that are serving. Um, executives. Uh, So it's, you know, for us, we immediately started piloting and testing. And I know, Sky, you've been to our Celebrate event on Friday evening. Yep. That's the C-suite
0: network. Yeah.
1: That's the C-suite network. Exactly. And and the first time we did that, it was a swing in the dark. We didn't have anything like that. We didn't have anything to sell a $1,000 membership in C-suite network, $99 a month. We had nothing to do that. We had nothing to serve it, and um, and so quite literally, I sat down with my BD team and said, "Look, we've been, we've got to learn quickly. We need to know how to do this." And so um, I could see that we didn't have any great suggestions, you know, in terms of you know just all kind of shots in the dark because we hadn't done it before, and uh so I said, "Okay, well today is Monday morning, Wednesday night at eight o'clock. Uh, invite whoever you're talking to." And what would we do? What would that look like? And uh, we hosted an event at eight o'clock that, that, uh, that Wednesday. So just a day and a half later. And my thinking was, guy, I want to test this. I have no idea what it's going to look like. I know I have no idea how it's going to resonate, but I need to do it fast because if I don't, I'm losing minutes, you know, I'm losing days. That was
0: kind of the, the take action type. You don't know exactly what's going to happen, but if you do nothing, you'll know exactly what's going to happen.
1: Exactly. And worse still if you don't take actually, you don't know what you're missing on either. So right. we did that event two days later and it was terrible. I joke now, I'm like, even the, the two people who showed up at that event, um, <laughs> they still haven't joined. You
0: know? Right.
1: However, what happened from that was we, uh, the, the two people got off and we stayed on the line and we just went over, okay, what did we learn from this? And we came up with almost an identical blueprint to what we do for celebrates that you enjoyed uh, with us, and, that was massive. Um,
0: I couldn't believe how many people you guys had on and how it was managed so smoothly. So you basically you're saying a failure is a data collection opportunity. It's 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 uh, market research kind of. It's research and development.
1: Absolutely, it's critical. So you know, we we only thing we came up with, which was I think a day or two later, was um, permission to push pause. And we all, as executives, business owners, we all want to just push that pause button, especially with what was happening with COVID. Catch our breath, right? Mm -hmm. Friday nights that. And and it has become the biggest event we have ever had in person, um, virtually, for bringing in new members to the network. And here's the thing. We may never have gotten back to that because something else may have come up in the meantime and, oh, that's a squirrel, you know, shiny right. object over there. And we may not have launched the most important event we have for bringing in new executives and influencers into the C-suite network. So, so you know, those, those chances that you take and building the culture with your team to take those chances, collect that data. It sucked, so what? It got us to the best thing we've, we've ever done as, a, as an event for bringing in members. Now, we do a lot of different kinds of events and a lot of different things in you know across the whole c-suite network platform tv radio i mean membership services there's all kinds of different things but for that um that was the absolute best and we've used that model to continue to pilot and uh test and figure out what fits but we've got more data points now we know that celebrate worked that way so now we have one that's just for our ceos founders and investors and it's different and we pilot it as well but that pilot was a little more successful.
0: (laughs) Right, right. Um, So you just act knowing you're probably going to fail, but knowing that it's without acting, you're not going to be able to take in the information to know how to adjust. Now, maybe you get lucky. And in some areas you get things right, because you have a lot of smart people with a lot of knowledge on how to pull stuff off. But, but you're basically going out there saying, this is going to, this is going to be embarrassing, but we're, we're big you know, we're big kids and so right. we can handle it.
1: <laughs> well, Ty, I know you were a wrestler. I know for right. a fact you've had thousands of moments that weren't exactly flattering. I was a
0: mediocre wrestler too. So (laughs) I had, uh, yes, very many non-flattering moments.
1: Right. I was a figure skater. You know, uh, my, my parents were horse people, you know, like you fall off the horse, you get right back up again. So what, so what It was the greatest thing ever? We had two people, we tried, we learned a ton and we, and we were able to do some really great things from there. And I think, that courage is really important it's 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 collecting the data, but it's having the courage to collect the data and act on it you know and then and then use that as more data and get it better and better and better. I think of it not as uh, succeeding or failing, but almost like a Rubik's cube you know we got one color we got one side right
0: if you don't <laughs> twist it once because what if that's the wrong direction then
1: <laughs> yes, you're not going to get the other colors exactly.
0: Exactly. Now, I'm a I'm a traditionalist on Rubik's cube. I've never solved one because I refuse to look up the solutions online. Say so if <laughs> I can't figure it out myself, what's the point? Right, uh, you know, right. if it's something like optimizing my uh, business revenues or something like that, yes, I'm going to look it up. For God's sakes, I'm not going to you know go the hard route and try to reinvent the wheel just to, just to be proud uh, and bankrupt. Um, but the uh, Rubik's cube, yeah, I think uh, looking it up is is uh, not the proper way to do it. So shame on all you listeners who've done that.
1: Um, <laughs> or taking it apart. <laughs> yeah. Now that I've
0: done. I was a kid, but uh, yes, that's, that's that's part of figuring out how to game the system to win. You know, if you've never taken it apart also you're not trying, I think. Uh, <laughs> if you're not cheating, you're not trying with a Rubik's Cube. Um, okay. So it seems almost like mine thought was small companies have a disadvantage because the large companies can afford to have these, these data collecting and data processing systems and big data. And you really need a lot to help you make the decisions. But then with some of the stuff you said, it seems like small companies have, you know, it may be kind of balanced because small companies can take it and act on information so fast and certain mm-hmm. things, if you're not agile, you just, you can't take advantage of it. Even large companies are also have much more fear of doing something wrong, so they're going to sit there and try to process everything. And the small companies already run off and broken tons of stuff and uh, figured stuff out and gotten ahead.
1: It's so true. Yes, there's advantages and disadvantages. It's like qualitative and quantitative data. Um, you know, there's there are advantages and disadvantages to both. And so I think for small companies, this is a time where you can really stand out because you have the agility to turn on a dime and really make things happen. For executives in large organizations, it's about having that courage and getting your teams aligned uh, to be able to be agile. And so that's a huge challenge for larger organizations and also, you know, a tendency toward more traditional approaches that have been invested in over years. So there's a lot, a lot of courage needed um, on on the executive side of large organizations. And um, it feels to me
0: like large organizations, especially like technology, it seems this is really prevalent. Maybe some of the older industries that don't change very much can be super institutionalized, but it seems the really large organizations that do well have kind of a general. They have somebody who has ultimate power and can just make decisions. So they don't have to go through committee and they don't, so they can actually act fast because they have, you know, a Steve Jobs at the top. And maybe there's a lot of screaming in the boardroom and stuff in some of those, but you know compared to many large organizations a lot of these companies when they have that person who's just like hey sometimes i'm going to get it wrong but you know Elon Musk just throws his weight around and he just acts and goes in directions and if he had to go through a you know a board of people who all have to approve and stuff like that so much of the success would never happen how critical is it for a big company to have someone just give somebody the power to say okay sometimes you'll you'll be wrong but sometimes you'll throw an interception but go out there and do it. I watched a lot of football this weekend.
1: Yeah, there we go. <laughs> I didn't get to watch. I'm a Steelers fan. Um, so, so I think, you know, having somebody that's creating the courage for people to stand out and make tough decisions is really, really important. So regardless of the size of company, um, and and regardless of where they sit in many ways, you know, you can have somebody who's you know, in my one of my previous roles, I worked in a twenty billion dollar company, and um, and I had nothing to lose in building a whole new business unit. And I took a traditional market research group and I made it into over a twenty million dollar business. And um, and and I, to me, I didn't know anything else. You know, I, why wouldn't I do this? Is exciting? Right. I love building businesses. The more money I made, the more I got to do. Um, I got to sit on two of our company's executive boards. I made more than more. I brought in more revenue than many of the customers that I served. So it was a, it was a really exciting opportunity, and certainly uh, one where you know I just did that, and I had the backing of my uh, the the whole divisional leader to go ahead and do that. So I think you know having somebody who will create that culture. Of courage in those decisions is absolutely critical to see that happen at any level within a large organization. And the problem is oftentimes, as you alluded to, Sky, uh, you get into serving the bureaucracy, serving the the, <laughs> the infrastructure, as opposed right. to serving the customer and, and actually addressing what's happening in the market in the moment. And you so, said
0: courage, it seems like courage versus fear almost a lot of big companies the executives are all driven by fear like what if I if I make a mistake it's gonna be my ass and yeah um, it's
1: really interesting I find that um very limiting you know to me having the courage to do something different you might not get all the way to where you're aiming but I feel um you you'll get a lot further than people acting out of fear because when people act out of fear that's when you get all kinds of really negative um behavior right you get the covering-your-ass uh, right. scenarios that are counter, counterproductive to anything you actually want to you're achieve. You're not trying to
0: win anymore. You're just trying to not lose.
1: Exactly. And it's,
0: <laughs> this is, uh, Back to the football thing, we all know what the prevent-the-win defense does uh, when people are just trying to not lose. And you kind of always almost, almost always end up losing somehow, and people shake their heads like, why did they go into that? They're just like... Yeah all they're doing is trying to not, not lose. And uh, it, it never quite works out. Can you give, I feel like some of the listeners are still thinking like, okay, data and, and making decisions and it all sounds great, but what the heck are you talking about? Can you give an example of like a, a time you applied some data, some information and made a decision based on it? So they have at least one example of, and many people are like, I know what she's talking about. I know data and I do this, but, just an, an example so they can see, oh, okay, this is very specifically an example of what you're talking about.
1: So, you know, if I wanted to follow through on the example that I gave you about Celebrates, um, that that first night that we sat together, obviously there were lots of things that didn't work well. And that's the
0: C-Suite Network uh, online uh, kind of event. Because
1: mm-hmm. uh, you guys yeah.
0: have events all over the place in person and then COVID hits and all of a sudden... No more in-person yeah. events. That's your whole business. Yes. So, okay.
1: so, so we have those two people join. We're collecting data, right? They seem unengaged. You know, like so. So you're watching their body. You're, you know their body language, right? You're listening to what they're saying. You're looking at. They didn't how-
0: know, but everybody was just watching them. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> what are they doing? He looked away. What happened? Why?
1: Exactly. Every <laughs> second. So, so you know, and that's qualitative research, right? That's that's not stats. That's not hard data that that in terms of actual numerics versus then, like
0: how many the two people that's quantitative you're saying we had two people join but then right. what are they acting like what's the feeling we're getting from them? are they
1: right. two other people might react completely differently etc so it's right. not it's not statistically reliable and that's another whole thing about data is you know people using data if i said every you know all people would react the way those two people reacted uh, that would be very very wrong you know um right. Is, it's not statistically reliable in any way shape, you, you
0: kind of have to assume and this this goes back to the the kind of the the knowledge and insights and gut of the leaders. I guess you're looking at those two people, and if you know these people are kind of representative of our audience,
1: mm-hmm. then
0: you can make decisions off their activities. but if you assume they're representative of your audience. Um, and it turns out they're actually outliers. And if you looked at where did they come from and why and how you find out like, oh, okay, these are two people that this one person invited on and they're really just kind of got here, you know, here's the method they got here through, which is non-traditional and it's highly likely they thought it was something different than it was because, right. the email we sent to invite them was kind of misleading. Then you're, you're basically gathering information that's going to be toxic. Uh, so, so you need right. to. To have some idea and process where stuff's coming from as right. well.
1: You're taking that into context. But then the next stage, I invited about 65 people. So now I'm starting to get into numbers that are, you know, pretty, pretty reliable.
0: Now that so you I, know that your microphone will actually work and stuff like that, you're like, let me do a larger sample set.
1: Right. We know <laughs> what we're gonna do. We're going to invite people to this great event on Friday evening at five o'clock. We're gonna say, Hey, bring water to whiskey, whatever you want to drink. This is an inclusive space, right? We care about. Our principles, relevancy, reach, reciprocity. This is how we're going to act together. We're going to have fun. We're going to celebrate everything great. We're going to push the pause button on all that crap that we're hearing every day. All the horrible, challenging, difficult decisions we have to make as business leaders. And we're just going to come together and we're going to share all the great things. We're going to celebrate together and we're going to look forward to what we have the next week so that we don't end the week on a note. We ended on a really positive up note. And that was the idea. So I send out 65 invitations. I have about 50 people show. Now, anyone knows with an executive audience that those are huge numbers. So yeah, now, that's ridiculous. I,
0: yeah,
1: <laughs> now I can say numerically, we're on track with this. We got this part nailed. Now I'm starting to test now when I have 50 people online, what happens? So that's the first one. And we did that on April 17th. So March 16th to April 17th, I'd already piloted and fully launched the the event that becomes the biggest event for bringing in new members to C-Suite Network and keeping our members engaged every week and uplifted. And and now I think that's 33 weeks now, 33 and a half weeks. So this is a steady cadence of an amazing time within C-Suite Network. Um, And and then you continue on. Okay, so, and we've continued to pilot different things. We got to well over a hundred every Friday night. Well, now I need to break it out into networking groups So we can welcome new guests, the new members, and and get to know them because I can't, with well over 100 people, do that all together, which I could at 50. But over 100, it gets really challenging that way. So, um, you know, and then different things. We we pilot it out, we test it out. I stay on until usually at least seven on Friday nights because my commitment is to hear from everybody. You know, that's the time when sometimes we, you know, as business leaders, we're really alone. And knowing that somebody's gonna be there to listen and make sure you're heard and you get to share your idea or, you know, what's going on with you. Um, that can be, you know, really, really important connection. But all of those things we've been testing, you know, as we go along and seeing, okay, what does that look like? And, and then what are the memberships that are coming in because of it? So I'm staying close to that data to know I'm not losing anything as we test out these different pieces to that puzzle.
0: So it seems like I'm, I'm thinking on the listener's behalf and I'm thinking I still haven't quite got what's going on with this data and how to how to leverage it for results and just to kind of clarify for the listeners it's probably because it's so much simpler than you're thinking you're thinking there's some massive process it's account-based marketing and there's going to be some matrix of steps you have to follow and some ai you need to plug in and it, it really is just i heard a russell look into the bushes should i run or not i should start running now and adjust you know after you get mauled once maybe next time start running faster and 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 act. It it seems so much simpler than even I thought it was going to be, and I'm pretty familiar with data coming in, of just collect information and act. Collect information and act. Develop your information processing as a leader um, kind of skills. I imagine it can get much bigger.
1: Right. Well, Sky, I can give you another example. For those of you that are listening that are executives in large organizations, or, you know, even the larger small to mid-sized I always stayed close to my data. So looking at how I would build a revenue generating group within a $20 billion company, you're fighting for resourcing, right? So you can grow, but then you have to be able to get hires on board. And that's a huge role and responsibility for the executive leading teams. And so I always had a summary of how much revenue my group was generating, how much by headcount, how much by, um, you know, in each industry and sector we served and um, in different uh, um, revenue generating groups that we served across the company as well. A
0: dashboard of general company information, like, hey, break out to the things you find, the KPIs you think are important.
1: And I knew every, I knew down to the pennies, exactly how much I was generating and when I justified a new headcount, et cetera. So, so that people will say, oh, it's so difficult. How could you claim credit for that revenue? Well, how can you not? You know, <laughs> so, so to me, again, data doesn't have to be the perfect numbers. It just needs to set a great trend that you can make judgments on. So, right. so, you know, people get really caught up in, well, I don't know if market research or if marketing could claim the credit of selling a million units of this, who cares? Who cares? Nobody in any other division is fussing over whether- you can
0: give all the credit to sales and all the credit, to like you don't have to do attribution. We say this was all sales or this was all marketing. Give it to both. The old school model of advertising of just like sales went up this year. Well, what did we do? We bought a bunch of stuff in places where we have no idea which one. Well, then do it all again. (laughs) Do it more this time because whatever hit it worked, we don't know what worked. Now we can measure more these days, but so you don't have to get too anal about your data and be like, I need to know exactly where every detail came from.
1: It's a rabbit hole to get, yes, exactly. So you, so as long as it's giving you the general trends of what you can count on and that your revenue is going up. So for me, I knew my revenue was going up 20% year over year, even during the recession. And I mm-hmm. knew exactly where I stood and what it meant in terms of how much work my group could handle and how we could build. So, you know, the 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 piece of advice I would give is, Don't fuss about getting it absolutely perfect. It will never be. Don't be afraid of modifying, you know, as you go along, you'll learn more. So then you can do a little bit more into the model, but don't overcomplicate it. There are things, you know, know, that you might generalize as one number that could be broken down into 30 different metrics, you know, but that's overcomplicating. You just need a simple outline that's generally agreeable and then keep measuring it over time.
0: Interesting. I've seen this with personas too, where in my mind, if I didn't have 20 marketing personas, uh, you know, we were, we were losers as a marketing company and we had, uh, I think, Ardeth Albion and she was like, start with one. And then Mm -hmm. if you can manage more, manage more, it seems with the data, with the information you're going to have in a spreadsheet, whatever that you're comparing from time versus just the, what you're taking in and then developing your instincts from, um, you know, what's the number. Okay. Total revenues for the year. Here's one number to start with. If you can handle 20 other numbers, great. But if you can't, killing yourself to develop a massive spreadsheet of information that you're not going to actually use for anything is pointless. It will make you feel like you're not a uh, um, – it it might help chase away the imposter syndrome. But just increasing revenues helps a lot more.
1: <laughs> well, I think I think at the end of the day, it can be one of those rabbit holes that sucks you down into, um, you know. You mentioned the imposter syndrome, or you know, somehow I'm going to definitively know this is going to work. And and my perspective is, it's data that is taken in by a, a great leader of a great team. <laughs> so, like the the diversity of your team is really critical. So you can be uh, interpreting the data in the different ways that that are possible. Uh, we all have subconscious bias. So, you know, being able to rely on a team to bring forward their perspective, their thoughts, and then it's great leadership that empowers that and then pulls it together right. and says, hey, we're going to try this. Let's see what happens. They might
0: have data that matters too. So one of my favorite quotes, um, I have it up here on my wall, is if we have data, let's look at data. If all we have are opinions, let's go with mine. It's Jim Barksdale from Netscape, probably sometime in the nineties when the you know, one of the first internet things going on out there or something like that. Um, But it's, we're going to act, go with what information we have. Uh, You know, he was one of those, I'm the leader and I'm going to lead type of, type of leaders. But if his people are bringing him information, that's just more information to make better decisions off of. But if they're bringing him opinions, then keep your opinions at home.
1: The, I, I find paying the respect uh, to your team regardless of their seniority or their title or exact responsibilities of owning what they own. So if you live in this space 24 hours a day, I expect you have some pretty strong opinions and data and insight into what's going on and what we should be thinking about doing. Um, and that's something that I find can oftentimes be overlooked if you don't have the, that culture of, you know, I'm expecting you to be a leader on this team. That doesn't mean that you know you're now having to step up and take my responsibilities, but it right. does mean that in the things you own, you step up and you own them. And right. and you I want you—it's
0: it. like a sports team. You just because you're yeah. not the coach doesn't mean you're not expected to contribute. And you really want all of your team to be good and contributing.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, right. yes. You need everyone needs to be a star. Everyone needs to be a leader and a support. Except for Um, my
0: sport, it's wrestling. And you're just like, I'm going to go out there and win or lose. Uh, But you still have a team. And it actually came up uh, for me a while back, I was pointing out, you know, why do small schools, because I grew up in a very small school, we had some great athletes, but why do they tend to not put out on a percentage level as many good athletes as large schools do? And what I was talking about was capitalism and competition, Mm-hmm. Um, and I was saying it's competition. It all comes back to, com- that's what makes things good without competition. That's what nat- why natural selection creates things that live. It's, it's through competition. And if you don't have people around you to push you, then you're not going to get better. And in small schools and in small areas, you don't get as good of results because you're not surrounded by good people. You may have one amazing athlete, you know, in a tiny school on a team, okay, if he's not having to compete even for his individual position, he can just play any position he wants anywhere and he's great, but you're never going to get good if you don't have great people to practice with and push you through. I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to lose my starting position. If, you know, my school, all you had to have was a heartbeat and willing to join the team and you were, you know, (laughs) uh, the varsity team.
1: Well, and the thing is even more than the competition, they they make you dream they make you understand that you can be better right and and i I think that's something that sometimes missed people think it's just the competition i don't think that is actually i don't think that's the most important thing i think it's important for sure but i think the fact that it makes it possible so like for me i was a competitive figure skater it's it's a really competitive sport and it's brutal you know you you get sick or you fall in one competition your whole season's done and you train the entire year six days a week 10 to 12 hours a day <laughs> right. um it, it is just it's a brutally tough competitive sport and i'll never forget training at the olympic training center and being able to skate with my country's top dancers so i was a nice dancer and we got to train with the top in the country And when, when we train with them, not only did I know and dream, you know, this is totally possible, but I was also able to skate with them to feel it, you know? so so This is real. I'm
0: actually here. This isn't some distant
1: uh, (laughs) thing. That's not for me. Exactly. I'm skating with Canada's absolutely, you know, best male ice dancer and I'm learning what it's like to float. I mean, that, that rhythm that creates the best in the world is something you don't you don't just look at on TV and somehow get it. You know, when you when you are actually training with you feel it. And so I think that's true for us in in so many ways. It makes it possible. Oh, if you can do that, well then we could go one step further, right? And right. um and and that's the kind of culture I want to create uh, with my teams and and really have uh, strived for my whole career is teams that help each other dream and push harder and faster. And you're
0: seeing that somebody is showing you here's the path and it actually goes And back to the information. It's knowing that this information ends up with success. I remember developing a sales team one time and saying, Hey, our new salespeople need to see salespeople around them that are succeeding. Otherwise there's, they don't know, you know, they need to have that Olympian on ice with you where you're like, oh, he's doing that and I'm that's doing that. I, okay, yeah. it's, this is doable. I can <laughs> trust the information I'm getting in results there because I see somebody else following the same path.
1: That is so, yeah, absolutely. That's, that's a perfect uh, example, Sky. And, There's two things
0: I want to get to. I'm running out of time here. One, I want to get to you a little bit more so that the, the guests know who you are. Let's save that for the very end. One last thing on the data side is is there anything like what's the dark side of this? What is what should people look out for? Or just as companies, as marketers in general, that you know, that our audience are B2B marketers, um, is there anything you see coming down the pipe or that's here now that kind of scares you or that is dangerous on on the data side, misleading, whatever it is?
1: There there are a couple things. I mean, one is always just using data incorrectly. So, you know, making generalizations from qualitative research that's not statistically reliable and, and making assumptions that, that lead in the wrong direction. So that's, that's one thing just in terms of data integrity and businesses making good decisions. You know, So um, that's always been a risk and continues to be, and maybe even more so now because there's just so much out there. How do you interpret it all? Um, so the interpretation is really, really critical and understanding the strengths and weaknesses of all the different kinds of data that you can collect Use and and um, and and continue to act on. So that's one thing. The other thing that I'm a little bit uh, alarmed about, and certainly there's you know the the idea of privacy and data is supposed to be collected on aggregate. Uh, you know, so there's the confidentiality, the privacy of an individual person. Um, But also right now, uh, I don't know if you've seen that show, The Social Dilemma, and that is troubling to me. It's on Netflix, um, and it's all about basically the idea of feeding people only the content that's aligned with their perspectives. And essentially, it's not meant to be a negative thing, uh, right? If I like this, then I like more of this, and then I like more of this, right? But Um, they think
0: like is interact with, and people tend to interact more with stuff that they... um, that makes them angry, I think is part well, of what I heard from it.
1: Actually, what they're showing in the data on the social dilemma is the data that makes them most engaged is the data. It's more and more and more like their perspective. It might make them angry at the other side. So right. it's very divisive. Um, and, um, and so you literally have people who cannot possibly understand or respect where the other side is coming from because the only thing they hear of this side is that you know they're, they're absolutely uh, you know horrible demonized people, um, so that piece of data really is concerning to me. Um, you know that we that we continue to polarize people that they don't hear alternative, alternative perspectives, and that's again something I'm very proud of in the C suite network is we represent you know uh, all great business leaders. And, uh, and we don't seek to convince people of anything other than, um, you know, here's some, uh, great content, great, uh, information and great, uh, connection where we do respect where each other is coming from. We seek understanding, right. but not to change. <laughs> and, um, so it's, it's, um, that, 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 that whole piece of it is concerning to me.
0: Now the, the, um, topic for today's episode is leveraging data to obtain maximum results and the irony here is it seems like that's exactly what the social networks are doing there it's just that they either took out the human element um or by using maybe an ai that processes stuff and says hey the more we say like this it's you know it's creating the twitter profile that ends up just spewing like racist hate because like this what's Here's what gets me the most followers and likes. So I'm going to, this is what I turn into. Um, Is that the result? Is that the result of an AI type um, kind of feedback loop um, where they're looking to maximize results or do you have kind of misguided people looking to maximize results or maybe both?
1: I think it's unintended AI, you know, uh, so what's happening is the more they, the more they stay on, the more they stay on, the more they stay on and the business model. And this is why I'm such a massive believer in how important your business model is in creating great success and great impact. And, so
0: I'm going to edit the title a little bit. We're now going to be or the topic, leveraging data to ethically obtain maximum results.
1: There we go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I think, Great business really is about creating great success that has great impact. And so, you know, we're huge believers in values-based approach to businesses. And, and everyone has to decide what their values are and how they want to lead their businesses and, and, um, and the impact they want to have. Um, so, yeah, so I think those, the, the, the social dilemma is really about the AI, the unintended consequence of a business model where advertisement is sold uh Around how long each person can stay online in that social platform, right. so um so so as you look at that, then what are the alternatives, and what will that look like and that's that's what continues to help us evolve um, and and create new tools and new opportunities um, and that means new business opportunities as well, of course.
0: and I would say that there's more than one way to maximize your results. Try to choose the one you know that that isn't saying you know, we want to donate money to this charity because that's good. And we can donate more money if we lay off half of our workforce. We're going <laughs> to, this, like, how about your workforce be part of your charity? Like, don't I, don't get too sidetracked on on the specific results. There's there's a lot of other moving parts in there. Uh, try to keep it human a little bit when, when you're looking at the data and making your decisions.
1: And how much more value do you get from that? Absolutely, absolutely.
0: So in a little time we have left, Let's hear more about you. You'd mentioned being the CMO for a massive company before, you know, we know you have the ice dancing background, which means you would do fantastic on Dancing with the Stars. Every time <laughs> one of those people gets in there, they just kill it. And they would say, well, if you can dance on ice, obviously you can dance on not ice.
1: Yeah, a um, little bit easier in choose.
0: <laughs> what else would you like the audience to know about you, about your past and, and about C-Suite Network as well? Let's take a minute to tell people what, what that is.
1: Um, So um, my past has really been one where uh, I just absolutely love building great businesses and um, building great teams to deliver on impact. And so uh, what we call the hero factor, um, and and I run the hero club of C-Suite Network, um, is really about great uh, leadership. It's about values-based approaches to building businesses and running them. So I always thumbnail it to lead with integrity, transparency, give back to our communities and share in our success. And that's just the way that I've always operated. And even when you have those opportunities where um, maybe that's not the, the the culture, then you can really make a difference. And, you know, in my, in my first kind of stint uh, in my career, I realized, ah, that was the era when as long as you made money, short of murdering anyone, you were good. You could do whatever you wanted. And so I used that rule. I just had to make money and then I got to do what I wanted, which was for me creating greater value, greater spend, greater ties and connections with my clients um, because I had a team that I kept that were invested and engaged and bringing the qualities that, you know, that depth of quality of relationship and content and and so on. Um, So so that's something that you can always look to those opportunities. So in my career, that's that's what I've done. I've uh, been back and forth across uh, Canada and the US um, and my whole career. And, um, and, and at Rogers, which was a $20 billion company built, uh, a, a new business from the ground up, but I've also, uh, run different PNLs for different businesses. As, as we were saying earlier, CMO of, uh, uh, inside of a $3 billion company with PNL responsibilities in New York, in New York right now, I, I haven't been back for eight and a half months now. And since um, they
0: closed the gates and, uh, <laughs> and locked them, <laughs>
1: I'm, I'm, I'm. Constantly uh, connecting in with all of our uh, New York uh, friends and family. And um, so anyway, it's it, life definitely has changed that way for sure. But uh, but yeah, it's um, my, my career is really one of how do you create great, great businesses and do things the way that you would want to to um, create that culture where there is no limit. And it's about how we do great things with that success.
0: How fulfilling is it to have great success and keep your soul? That's, that's well, awesome.
1: <laughs> it's everything, isn't it? I mean, you know, you, 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 it's hard not to be passionate when you work with great people against a great mission. You know, in Sea yeah. Network, our mission is just to simply help executives, business owners, investors, and all of those to serve them. Uh, Succeed faster. And so, you know, our podcast platform, our TV platform, all of our events, our services, um, our councils or uh, subgroupings of the membership, all of that delivers on that. And, um, and I have to say with COVID, it's been the hardest time, uh, the most challenging, uh, but also just absolutely the most incredible and, um, and delivering against that mission is what inspires and keeps us going every single day, and and you see great leaders stepping up and winning through, you know, and against all odds, and um and there's nothing greater than that.
0: Because you said something. You said succeed faster, and I just thought, oh yeah, because you don't live forever. I mean, if we live forever, it wouldn't matter how fast you succeed. But yeah. you know, since we don't live forever, and that's been yeah. really highlighted in recent months, succeeding faster is kind of kind of important. Um, now I noticed you haven't really said much about C-Suite Network and how people join it. It's an invite. I don't even remember how I was invited, but do you want to tell people how to find it and join or do you guys find them?
1: Absolutely. No, that would be wonderful. So anybody who's a VP or above or the equivalent um, uh, or a business owner, investor, influencer, uh, if you go to C-Suite, S-U-I-T-E, network.com slash Uh, this kind of slash is that forward slash events. (laughs) Um, That's a whole listing and celebrates is there. We would love to host you Um, this week on Wednesday. We also have um, this. This is
0: going to air sometime later. So this week might be there we go. May or may not find it listeners. If you go this week, but there, go on a Wednesday so. and see. <laughs> First
1: Wednesday and third, third Wednesday of the month are our digital discussions. And those They're are awesome. also open and phenomenal. We recently had um, Seth Godin. We we're having uh, uh, leaders like the um, CCO of Hilton Worldwide, Catherine um, Munson, uh, lots of great, great uh, speakers. We had Matthew McCarthy. I don't know if you saw that one, Sky, but um, he's the you CEO. You can't start a
0: sentence with Matthew Mc- and then go Arthy. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people get bummed when he gets introduced and he's like, come on, I'm a big deal.
1: Yeah. <laughs> he's the CEO of Ben and Jerry, so yeah. get it depends
0: <laughs> um, they The wrong Matthew Mc, oh, Okay, Carthy. It's still, it's still great, it's still great. He has to bring ice cream to get people okay. happy after they hear. That's fantastic. This will all be in the show notes, the uh, c network.com with the dash, c Suite, uh, so people can find out more uh, check it out. I know I went to one event. I've been really busy since I haven't really followed up properly, but I did love it. And it's definitely mm-hmm. flagged as something for me to take action on as was like come up for air here. Um, huh. But yeah, I'd say people go check that out. I have seen so many of these network groups since COVID started. I don't know if they were just all personal introduction before and they've now gone online. So I'm getting several emails a day from all these different groups. And I have noticed a lot of them are very new. It seems there's an explosion now, uh, since people aren't interacting for the most part in, in these networking groups, but you guys have been around for a while. It's a huge group. It, it seemed, uh, great. And I'm, I'm definitely looking to come back. So I tell people, check out the show notes, check out C-suite network. Um, again, VP and above they're pretty selective. Sorry, but, uh, Um, There's great opportunity there. Anything else? Any other contact information? I guess people can find you on LinkedIn.
1: Yep. On LinkedIn or just Tricia T R I C I A at C dash sweet network.com.
0: Fantastic. Well, uh, listeners, please, let me see, please go on LinkedIn, find Tricia. Also, uh, Find me Skycast on LinkedIn uh, or, or the uh, If You Market podcast, and share one of our uh, share one of the episodes' information we put up there. Share it with your friends so more people can find out about the podcast here. And uh, you know, if you want to do something more, tell a friend, give us a good review on iTunes. But uh, on behalf of the If You Market team and Trisha Ben of the C Suite Network, thank you for listening to the If You Market podcast, where we believe if you market the shit out of it, leveraging data, they will come. If you're not always on the lookout for new data sources for your sales and marketing, you're just not doing your job. I've got great news for you, though. You can go to topdatasearch.com, sign up for a free Top Data Search account, and use promo code IYM500 to get 500 contact download credits. Again, that's topdatasearch.com and promo code IYM500.